if you are uh, with us for the first time or you've been with us for some time, um, we're wrapping up. We're on the final leg of our series, um, Whoops, uh, Those That Religion Rejected. And this morning, um, uh, I'd like for you to open up to John chapter 20. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's in the New Testament. It's on the right half of your Bible. Um, or you can pull out your, your iPhone, your iPad, um, your Android, whatever you got. If you got your Bible app, um, that's a really quick and easy way to access Scripture, um, not only here on Sunday morning, but um, throughout the week. And um, if you are just joining us today, um, you can hear the uh, entirety of the series online um, at our website or on Spotify as a podcast. You can down that, download that and grow as you go um, and uh, in your car or wherever you are. Um, so uh, during this whole series, um, we've, our, our, we, our pivot point has been this pivotal moment in Scripture um, in the life of Christ, during the passion of Christ in his last moments prior to his crucifixion. This pivotal moment where Pilate, the governor Pilate, stands before the people and Jesus, with Jesus on one side and Barabbas on the other side. Jesus, the Son of God, the healer, the peacemaker, and Barabbas, a prisoner, bound for death, bound for crucifixion because he was a murderer and an insurrectionist stirring the pot, shall we say. An innocent man and a guilty man. One to be pardoned, one to be crucified. And it is at this point of decision where Pilate is swayed by the people and the people have been swayed by the religious leaders by the elite, by the educated, by those that society looks to for religious guidance. And so it is at this moment that with Pilate waving a wave of his hand, the cross that was meant for Barabbas is now meant for Jesus, the Son of God. And in this pivotal moment, it becomes very, very clear that religion rejected Jesus. And as Luke says, that Pilate succumbed to the will of the people, but the fact is that Jesus already laid down his will and laid down his body in the Garden of Gethsemane. No one can take life from Jesus. Jesus can only give up his life. And it's in this pivotal moment that we have stood and we have watched. But it's after this moment, several hours later, that we come to today. In fact, it's at least six hours later. When Jesus' lifeless body is still on the cross. After he has struggled for hours to even gasp the breath using the nail driven in his feet to leverage so he can open his lungs and get whatever breath he could. It is once Jesus' body is lifeless on the cross where he's given up his last breath that we come to this moment. And two men 
one known in the Gospel of John, one entirely unknown in any of the Gospels until now, come on scene. And so, if you would, if you haven't already been there, open up to John chapter, forgive me, chapter 19. It's verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea, it's a new name in the gospel, asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. Excuse me. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid, because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Heavenly Father, in the next coming moments, um, whether we're awake or not, will you tune, may we tune ourselves into you, and tune ourselves into the Word of God. And I firmly believe that you're going to speak, so I don't need to ask that you speak. You're constantly speaking. Lord, may we listen to what it is that you speak, and may we not only listen to what it is you speak, but may we be doers of what you speak to us in our personal life as well as our corporate life as a church. We come together because we're in this together. And Lord God, Man, you got some truth today. May we hear it. It's in your name that we ask today. Amen. I am going backwards and forwards. Um, Joseph of Arimathea. This is an individual that does not appear in the Gospels until now. Until this moment when Jesus' body is still up on the cross and he's lifeless and as evening approaches. Why now? Why in this moment does this man appear on scene? Why is this individual written into the Gospels that people, whether they're believers in Christ or not, can hear his story? Why is it intertwined? You might turn me down just a little bit. I'm a little loud. Sorry about that. I am very loud. Man, and I don't even have hearing aids on. Um, but why has this man come on scene? Why is he so interconnected with the story of Jesus Christ? And why, of all times, is it after the cross? After the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? Who is this man of Arimathea? And as we find this out today, i got to ask you, might you see yourself in Joseph? 
You may not know him. This may be your first introduction to Joseph of Arimathea. This actually may be your hundredth time to learn who this man is. But I ask all of us to look at this man's life and see if we are in his life. So who is he? What's he about? Well, we know that he comes to the cross. Jesus' lifeless body is on the cross and he goes and knocks on Rome's door. He knocks on the door of Pilate, the Roman governor. Who is this man that he has power and position in order to go to Pilate to even request to have Jesus' body in his own hands and take care of it? The man who just mere hours away waved his hand and said, crucify him. I'm innocent of his blood. He was accompanied by this man by the name of Nicodemus. And we read in John 19 that Nicodemus was the man that came to Jesus at night. Now if we were to read the book of John in its entirety, right now, which we're not going to do, you would know that John is referencing this guy in John chapter 3, Nicodemus. And who is he? Well, we find out from that story that Nicodemus is a member of the ruling Jewish council. And if you don't know who that is or what that is, that's okay. But this is the ruling council that judges Jewish law who finds out whether or not prophets are valid or false. And in fact, this is the same Jewish ruling council that hid behind closed doors to find Judas and hand over 30 pieces of silver to orchestrate the death of Jesus Christ. That ruling council. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night Fearful of everyone else, but in, on a recognizance mission to find out who this miracle man is. This same Nicodemus, a part of the Jewish council, who listened and watched and heard all the stories about Jesus, whose sole job was to uncover the truth. And to shun falsehoods. To call falsehoods out for what they are. And so Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus partner together to become undertakers, caretakers of Jesus' body. Did Joseph ride his coattails, Nicodemus's coattails? Was Joseph just some guy? In fact, Joseph of Arimathea and his story is mentioned in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's actually pretty significant. And we find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John that Joseph himself was rich and prominent. He was an affluent and influential individual. He had power and merit of his own. How? because he was a member of the same ruling council that his friend Nicodemus was a part of. That same ruling council that was to uncover falsehoods, to find out truth, 
and what really is truth. And if people who proclaim to be truth are really truth. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea were two members of that 72-member council. That same council that discussed all of the miracles that Jesus performed. That same council that accused Jesus of being a blasphemer. That same council who questioned people who were miraculously healed because of Jesus. Joseph and Nicodemus had a front row seat to find out what truth really is and if Jesus was who he says he was. They heard the arguments for and against. And in fact, Nicodemus stood up in one of the meetings and put his neck on the line. Joseph of Arimathea was an affluent and influential individual in society, in Palestine, in Jerusalem. He had a walkway to Rome. And so, Joseph of Arimathea, this rich and prominent man, steps out of the shadows to retrieve Jesus' lifeless body. Why? Why now? Why does Joseph step out now? And why is he even mentioned in the story? Well, Matthew, in his telling of Joseph of Arimathea's story and the removal of Jesus' body from the cross, calls Joseph a disciple. Over the course of the three years that Jesus was doing miracles, and this ruling council questioned, followed, interrogated, basically put out an inquisition on Jesus, Joseph, at some point, became a believer in Jesus Christ. He became a follower. We don't have a call. We don't have a moment where we have this decision of Joseph's. He didn't come to the altar on Sunday morning. But at some point, he heard the story of Jesus Christ and he heard all about what Jesus had done and who he is and who he proclaimed to be. And in the midst of the arguments and the accusations and the finger pointing, he'd come to believe that Jesus who was who he said he was. The Son of the living God. But again, this doesn't make sense. Why would Matthew and John, two disciples, two of the inner circle of Jesus, bring up this man's name? Was it merely because Joseph offered his own tomb for Jesus' body? Joseph who had hewn out that tomb for himself out of rock? Was it because he literally just took the body down off of, of the cross, wrapped it in linen with spices and aloes? Was it because he was connected to this Nicodemus who we read about in John chapter 3? 
I don't think so. I think it's because John said this. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. This Joseph of Arimathea, this prominent man who had influence, the road connected to Rome, and could judge validity of people's lives and make ruling whether an individual should be stoned or not. Because this man became a disciple, but he was a disciple very secretly. And you ask, is there such a thing about a is there such a thing of as a secret disciple of Jesus Christ? And I answer to you, absolutely. The church is full of them. The church is full of people who proclaim faith in Jesus Christ. Yet when it would cost everything, they hide at all costs. The church is full of them. May not be here, but the church is full of secret disciples. I think this is why Joseph of Arimathea made it into the Gospels. Because it was at this moment that Joseph stepped out of the shadows and stepped into living the reality of his faith in Jesus Christ. I... uh, as I was writing this sermon, I realized that a lot of my, I don't know, my younger years, I ran away from things. See, in, in junior high, before my seventh grade year, I, I've shared this before, but uh, I had the opportunity to to move from Xenia City Schools to Bellbrook City Schools because my mom started a job in Bellbrook. <clears throat> and moving from 6th grade to 7th grade would have been uh, in Xenia in City Schools. I would have gone from Arrowwood Elementary to Warner Junior High. And I knew that if I would go into Warner Junior High, the reputation of my brother would be put right on me. And so I ran. I ran away to start over. So I started over at Bellbrook Junior High, where a place no one knew me. And so when I walked out of Bellbrook High School, I wanted to start over. I didn't, I didn't want the, the cheers mantra where everybody knows your name to follow me because I felt like the experiment of Bellbrook Junior High and High School was botched. I hated high school. The only thing about high school I liked was soccer. And so I started over. 
I started over in a college three to three and a half hours away. And I, I was, hey, I was not the, the uh, I, I was still the, the people-pleasing doormat. I was the people-pleasing doormat. I was not the recovering people-pleaser that you all have come to know and love. <laughs> By no means. And I realized that as I was writing this sermon and really thinking through my life, man, I was running. I was running away. And I think we confuse starting over and running away. Because quite frankly, starting over is running away. Running away from those things which you do not want to confront in your life. I don't ever, if you ever hear anybody say that, that, that knowing Jesus, coming to know Jesus, it makes life better, it just creates more dilemmas. It creates, Jesus creates more dilemmas in your life. And I found that out in college. Because when I tried to start over in college, I was still a people-pleasing doormat, trying to find a place to belong, trying to find significance, trying to find identity. And I found my identity in the soccer team with the soccer players. I found my belonging and identity in my nickname, Captain Morgan, if that gives you any indication. (laughs) Right? That's where I found my identity. And my life came to a head my sophomore year. I was frustrated. I was angry. There were a lot of complex circumstances in my sophomore year and my freshman year. Things that I choose, chose for myself, things that I did not choose for myself. Extending myself to please people so that I could belong to something. And then it happened on a Sunday afternoon, 5 o'clock, in a bathroom, that I met Jesus Christ, that he entered my life. And I had no clue what it was about. You might have no clue what Jesus is about. You may have been sitting in church for 35 years and you still have no clue what Jesus is about. And so, a couple weeks later, I went to the same party house that I had gone for the last year and a half. Having Jesus in my life. Not understanding anything going on. But understanding I had this newfound belief. And I went to the same place that I I thought I belonged to. And I vividly remember sitting on the couch listening to the Beatles. Drugs going on left and right, alcohol. You name it, it's going on. I'm sitting there. And I was in a dilemma. I was in a dilemma because of Jesus Christ. Receiving Christ and living Christ is not easy, folks. Don't ever let somebody tell you it's easy. It's the best but the hardest thing you will ever choose in your life. 
It took Jesus to the cross. It beheaded Peter, or it beheaded Paul. It crucified Peter upside down. It has beheaded Christians in the last several years in the Middle East. Following Jesus is not easy. And in our reality in the Western church, or in the, in the West, it's becoming a lot more difficult, is it not? And so I sat on that couch in a dilemma. I belonged here, but I believe this. Doesn't make sense. What do I do? I belong with this group of people. I, I belong with this idea. I belong with these behaviors. But here's my belief. That I still don't get. And I still don't understand. I'm new at this. I have no idea where the book of Mark is, where the book of Matthew is. I have no idea who these guys are. I just know I received Jesus. And he's way different than my whole life has ever been. I was in a dilemma. Joseph of Arimathea was in a dilemma. He battled. He struggled. I guarantee you. Why? Because if Joseph of Arimathea would step out and profess anything about Jesus Christ... It would cost him everything. Absolutely everything. His livelihood, his job, his influence, his paycheck. It would absolutely wreck it all. In fact, it might cost him his life. Because the same crowd that he was running with, that he belonged to, where he found his identity, was the same crowd that puppeteered Jesus' crucifixion orchestrated it hand over fist, even by infiltrating Jesus' inner circle. If Joseph of Arimathea stepped out at any point, he would have been ostracized and probably stoned. Remember, this is a man that investigated truth to try to find it. This is why Joseph of Arimathea comes to the surface in the gospel. Because he stepped out of his secrecy. And he stepped into his faith. That he was not going to be any longer someone who rejected relationship with God. Because when religion rejects, they they Put, religion puts a barrier between you and God to have that relationship. And Joseph was a part of it. But it's cool. Because now Joseph. Now Joseph. Now Joseph steps out. Now Joseph lives in the reality of his faith and what he's come to believe. Now Joseph recognizes everything that he gave himself to was untrue. Now Joseph puts his neck on the line. 
Now Joseph, now his faith has become real. Faith is not safe. Faith actually is quite dangerous and in a lot of people's eyes, quite reckless. We have no idea what happened to Joseph. He's not mentioned in the book of Acts, which is the the first 30 years of the early church. We only have mention of this man right here in this moment. But in just this little bit, we are encouraged to step out of the shadows. Are you in conflict with yourself? Are you at dilemma like I was? At a point of decision? Have you been hiding? Have you been hiding your faith? Because it's going to cost you? Have you been hiding your relationship with God? Let me ask the adverse. Have you been faking your faith? Have you been faking your faith, particularly around those who you deem faithful to God? Are you at conflict with yourself? Are you in dilemma? Sometimes circumstances push us to decision. Sometimes they don't. Joseph had a circumstance that pushed him to decision. In fact, we read in the book of Luke that Joseph of Arimathea did not consent to them taking Jesus' life. He did not consent to Jesus being crucified. He came to decision. Whether he was there in that point of decision or he was absent, he made his faith known in that moment. And he stepped out. Are you at conflict? Are you hiding in the shadows? You may not be hiding in the shadows here at Wapak Naz on Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., But Monday morning when you go to work, do you hide in the shadows? God is a God of newness and new life. And if He's a God of newness and new life, that means He is constantly moving. And He's constantly pushing us further and forward. Joseph of Arimathea was stagnant in his faith for a long time. And I can tell you from my own story that until you step out and into your faith, you will not experience the fullness that God has for you. You will continue to hide and you will continue to struggle in that. You got to step out. 
So I'd ask that you stand this morning. Just bow your head for a moment, if you don't mind. Do you see yourself in Joseph? I know I did. This is that that moment. This is that time. This is that point of decision. That pivotal moment in your life. That you can make that step out. Out of what you thought you belonged to. And realize that there's something greater over here with Jesus. It's time for you to make that move. Even those that have received Jesus Christ, you probably need to step across that line of faith into uncertainty and some unknowns. Man, that's where faith grows the deepest become strengthened and galvanized. It's when you step out and you say, perhaps God will save us, but even if he doesn't, I'm still going to step. So if that's you, and you need to take that step out in your faith, you're done playing the game, you're done hiding, or you're done faking it, With your heads bowed, I'd ask that you raise your hand and make a first proclamation of that. Because I'd like to pray with you. I'd like to pray for you. But you might be like Joseph of Arimathea trying to uncover the truth. Hearing all the arguments for and against And at some point you realize, man, this, this Jesus is not only historical, but he is who he says he is. He is the Son of God, Son of the living God, who died on the cross and rose from the dead. And man, he's coming back again. Because right now he's at the right hand of the Father preparing a place. But he's going to come back. If you're like Joseph at that point where he's come to that point of decision that you have, you have struggled, you have wrestled, you have heard the arguments and at this point, you can't even, you can't argue against anymore. This is your turn, your time to step across that line and come into faith for the first time. So if that's you, I just would like for you to pray with me. Something very simple. It's not the end of the conversation, or it's, it, it's not the whole conversation, it's just the beginning of the conversation. But I'd like for you to just, Jesus, I give you my life. I give my life over to you because you gave your life for me. Jesus, I give you my life. Ask him, tell him. This is that, that, that time. Step over that line, step into the kingdom, step into the fullness of Jesus. 
Jesus, I give you my life. Just tell him that. You have more things to talk about. Just tell him, Jesus, I give you my life. I give it all to you right now. If you just prayed that, will you, will you also please raise your hand? Yes, thank you. Praise the Lord. Jesus, for those that have prayed, Jesus, I give you my life and have given that over to you. Lord, I ask that, that because you entered in, you changed their heart. You may not change their circumstances, but you've changed their heart and you changed their perspective on their life and their circumstances. And that their life is not their own anymore, it's yours. It's yours. May they step into the fullness of Jesus through the body of Christ, through growing in the Word, and through their relationship with you. And for those of us that are here, that have been hiding their faith, that have been faking it, Lord, I ask that you encourage them right now. Because you've got amazing things, big things, things that are bigger than us, that you've called us to. May that happen. May we step into that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like to share with you that um, this week somebody did step over that line of faith. Happened this week in an eight-week Bible study. One of our own teenagers Many of you are wondering what in the world's going on over at that White House. Not the one in Washington, just right next door. Um, what's happening is souls are getting saved. People are coming to Jesus Christ. One of our very own, Brendan Kohler, gave his life over to Jesus. He prayed that prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. Let's give God praise. Yeah. God is good. God is working. Whether you see him or not, he's working. And we celebrate what he's doing. I praise the Lord. And so, it's going to take you. You are salt, light, and yeast in our community. People will come to Christ because of you. Stepping out. Stepping into your faith. Will you please love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength? And will you please love your neighbor as yourself? That's what we're about. We're love people loving people to Jesus. That's what we do. That's who we are. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. We will see you soon.